everyone to another spectacular episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts. I'm your host, Kat Cloco, and tonight with me we have Christina Wald and Jen Kohler and a whole bunch of weird things that have gone on in the world this week and a Cincinnati ghost story. Woohoo! Woo! So first, with our social media, you can catch us on Twitter at CineCabinetCurio or on Instagram, CincyCabinetOfCuriosities. You can also email your own hometown haunts at CincyCuriosities at gmail.com. It doesn't have to be Cincinnati located. It can be from anywhere in the world. We love hearing your own hometown haunts. Also, we're an official podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please rate and review us and also on YouTube so other spooky lovers can find us. The link, like always, is in the show notes. Also, Christina, we have a Kickstarter update. Yes, we have everything here. We've got everything signed. We've got everything uh, boxed up. There's the book. It is gorgeous. Do a quick flip through. Look, it's, it's, it's. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> There's looks, hey, this is um, Christina's. And the book just looks amazing. And we have everything. The only snag, uh, I was going to ship most of the stuff today, but uh, unfortunately, everybody decided they were going to be shipping today. And oh, nice. Yeah. Everybody this is did. Jay and Dylan's work. Nice. And then let's see, we got Brandon Wagner's. This is the Cincinnati musical. Nice. And oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, he did his like a penny dreadful. Let's see. Then we have Jamie Filer's Wonderful Mothman, which is available as a print. And then we got Christina Satan's Hollow. How fun. Yes. And, and so, so we were going to sh- ship everything today, but unfortunately, uh, the nice. This is Kevin the, Necessary's Frogman. That, that yeah. seems to keep the spirit of, of the Frogman, too. It's so good. And then this one is um, Ronnie Fikes, the Loveland Castle. Nice. Your camera is catching it pretty well. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Like in focus. <laughs> and then this is Lauren's uh, public monster. Nice. I particularly mm-hmm. love how whimsical it is with his feet. That's a beautiful perspective mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. It's one that you don't usually see. Mm-hmm. And then we got James's Bigfoot. Oh, that's t- or, that's uh, tank. Sorry, but sorry, yeah. tank. Sorry, tank. That's even better. This is Ohio grass man. Yeah. And then, of course, the uh, Sedamsville is how you pronounce it, according to the Sedamsville. You mean I was? Is I how was pronounced it the whole time, and I was like, "We have a pronunciation." You shouldn't. Sedamsville. Well, where's Tim? There's Tim. So I think that's actually. There's Tim's. Yay! Froggy go, Corton. This is <laughs> wonderful. And then, yes, Sedamsville. So we were correct with our first initial. Yeah. Wow. Sedamsville. Sedamsville. Wait, uh, let me get that. Which seems like it's more appropriate. Sedamsville. Sedamsville. I mean, that sounds like that that sounds scarier, actually. Yeah. I would say Sedamsville sounds correct for the area, but Sedamsville. (laughs) That would be that would be a good name of like. I like my ghost. 
Yes. Oh, I, yeah. I love that ghost too. Yeah, he's creepy. But I gotta the, find Natty. Where's Natty? Uh, in in uh, my story, I think page two or three of my story. Yeah. And there's Natty. Hi, ah, Natty. Yeah. I love him. So we got our wonderful cover by Tom Miller. Yes. It's and then our gorgeous. back cover by Eamon. Yeah. And this just... is with the Viking. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Thank you. Yeah, it does kind of. Yeah. It does kind of have that vibe, especially it you does. Know, each in each, each one will have different topics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. hopefully, I will get in the in mail tomorrow. I'm hoping if I log on at a very strange time, not everybody else will be logging on because when I logged on I, at first, I couldn't even log on, and then when I did, whenever I tried to get postage on something, it would just kick me out. And it's because everybody. <laughs> They t- I think they said on the news, uh, my sister-in-law said that they were telling people that if you wanted to get it there by Christmas, you had to send it by the 15th. So yeah. everybody was sending it by the 15th. Um, yeah. And so unfortunately, their servers are not designed to have that crush, but everything yeah. is in motion. So you can even see a box behind me here. I'm going to take my... Woo! We're going for a field trip. You can even see a box of boxes where I'm starting to, and you see how messy my desk is because whenever you do <laughs> something like this, yeah. whenever you do something like this, your your studio becomes a huge mess. Yeah. So, something. I, I is... mean, not that that's not that that's unusual for my studio not to be a mess, but it's even messier right now when you're packaging 200 things. You may want to adjust it a little bit. Yeah. There we go. Yes. So when you're mailing 200, (laughs) when you're mailing 200 things, you know, it makes it difficult, (laughs) but they are on their way. It's not for lack of trying. Yeah. We were doing our, our desperate signing of books this weekend, which involved, that was fun, (laughs) which involved, it was like passing off the torch. Yeah. It was a weird, crazy version of telephone that involved cars because we were all driving to each other's places delivering the books and then very carefully signing them all and i know with me i washed my hands and made mm-hmm. sure everything was sanitary so mm-hmm. anyway um but yeah. yes it's coming and then are we Yay! going to do a volume two or an issue two of course we are so oh, i believe cool. those submissions will open next month for a yes. whole new crop of artists and writers to tell their stories about creepy cincinnati yes yes well, yeah. all, almost all news. There will be some new, some old, some new. Yeah, <laughs> I believe Christina and I are hanging around. Yes, yes. But we do, we will have some new new blood, if you yes. will. Yes, yes. Uh, most of it will be new. Yeah, most of it will be new. And and yeah. so you're going to be putting your dossier together and yes. uh, people will be proposing story ideas. And then you get the hard, most difficult job of figuring out what goes in the next book. Well, I enjoy it. Obviously, we've managed to keep this podcast going for, what, three months? And uh, this is all just finding stories. Maybe you'll see some of the stories we cover on this podcast mm-hmm. in, in, the ne- in, in the future volumes or issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. So stay tuned. More information. If you're an interested artist or writer and you're in the Cincinnati area, we'll let you know. Just... Um, pay attention to our social media and we'll let you know when those uh pitches can are open basically mm-hmm. 
And, you know, if you want to email us and you have an idea that's like gnawing at you that you would like to propose, you can mm -hmm. always do that as well. Uh, and, you know, maybe if it's a Cincinnati thing that's cool that we haven't done yet, you know, you never know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know everything. I'm always learning. Same. So it's a big city <laughs> with a lot of scared, haunted people. Big city, lots of, yeah, people are strange and <laughs> this city's been around for a while. But speaking of strange and weird things, Christina, weird things we saw this week. Yes, yes. Well, um, and I don't know if this is weird, perhaps it's just unusual because it's the first time in 800 years uh, you're going to see what they call the, the Christmas star, but really it's a planet that's extremely bright and i've noticed you know there are a couple extremely bright bodies right now out in the um in the sky so now's a good time to refrain from making any kind of joke <laughs> oh come on you can make a joke um <laughs> if you're feeling voyeuristic yeah <laughs> with the, uh, with the uh, planets around the earth uh get your telescope out and see what saturn is i think they said saturn's the closest um let's see i'm gonna get to the let me get to the website i think it's saturn and jupiter yeah a rare conjunction of uh conjunction of jupiter and saturn that will make them look like a single point of light so they're like a double star Ooh, um right. it hasn't been seen since the middle ages so um you know that's going to be really exciting and it actually will segue into your story because i'm sure the observatory unfortunately due to covid events like this are much curtailed but often when you have astronomical events like this you can go to the Cincinnati Observatory and they have some really great uh programming I'm not sure how you pronounce Dean's last name um uh, Regis I think Regis is yeah he yeah. um is in charge of the programming there and um has a lot of really interesting shows about that sort of thing so they might have some sort of socially distanced well, opportunity to watch yeah, I, they do. So I was going to talk about it a little bit later in the show, but this is perfect opportunity right now. So we're going to be talking about the Cincinnati Observatory and its history and everything. But before that, we do want to promote going to the Cincinnati Observatory. It's a wonderful little resource. It's a gem on the east side of the city. It's uh, in Mount Lookout, which is named for the observatory. And they do year-round programming. You can go do free seminars. They do moon viewing parties, which I've done a few times. Um, and we they have the different directors of the observatory actually hosting it. Um, and it, it's a bunch of wonderful events. They have stuff for kids. They have stuff for adults. I, I really support and urge people to go join and watch it. Um, I know Mike and I have done it a few times. Our particular street, we have a number of families that have telescopes because astronomy is kind of our hobby and we'll do moon viewing parties like on Halloween there was a full moon so we were out there socially distanced everyone in their own yard but watching the moon or when the ISS passes by or any other cool satellite feature mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, when we had the comet a few months ago we set up a comet viewing party and oh uh, you can actually well our a friend of mine is a docent there and she was able to get a higher power rent a higher power telescope and watch the comet and all that so fun stuff excellent yeah so what weird things did you see this week 
Okay, so still talking about the Cincinnati Observatory. Um, I was trying very, very hard today, this morning, to go take B-roll for our show. Uh, I know we're recording this on Monday, and usually we have this all put together by Tuesday night so that all of you can enjoy it on a Wednesday. Well, as long as I get this film footage to Christina, you'll see it on the show. We'll see if it happens. <laughs> but I was almost out the door this after, or this morning to go take the B-roll and photos for social media when we had a bank robbery in my neighborhood. Wow. And we had a helicopter circling overhead. Canine units were brought out. They blockaded uh, one of the main thoroughfares that I would have used to get there. And I was just like, well, I guess this isn't meant to be today. Um, I, I will try for tomorrow morning. Hopefully no other bank will get held up in the city. But that was a surprise. <laughs> and it went on for hours. And as of the time right now, which is 7.30 p.m., they still haven't caught the guy. <laughs> he I got away. Almost on unbelievable. Yeah, wow. he ran towards my house. So that was also really scary. So, which bank was it was it was it was it like the u.s bank on hyde park square oh oh wow yeah sure and he like ran towards plastered on, on the news this evening it's plastered on the news um i have the citizen app on my phone which is how i first learned about it and got the um dispatch recordings and everything about that and video and which i'm glad i had it because i would have just driven right into it um he escaped on foot down michigan avenue hmm. so that's towards my house which doesn't make me happy so no not at all this is the second time in a month that we've had a uh, banks robbed near my house the other one was on edwards and madison so again yeah, i guess we if they're not going to pass a stimulus pro program you know maybe people are giving themselves a personal stimulus that could right. be that could be um these particular <laughs> places get robbed i don't want to say frequently but a few times a year so we go on lockdown and wow. now that uh everyone's working from home we were just like well guess we're just turning on the security cameras <laughs> i don't know i do have observatory photos from Yay! urban sketchers yeah we sketched there um, they're not current it's in, from the summer. That's fine. I will send. It's you not them. like this place changed much. No. I have no, a sketch from there, but not. <laughs> unfortunately, I was not able to go to the sketch day that they had there. But I have an earlier uh, sketch. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Share those. Yeah. What else? Um, what other weird things do you have? So, just more of a history note for the Cincinnati area. Um, our first person to get the COVID-19 vaccine is Katie Walls, an RN from the cardiovascular ICU at University of Cincinnati Medical Center. So I just wanted to denote that we're starting to see the vaccines finally be dispersed around the population. Yes. We will soon see if this turns into the zombie apocalypse or not. We'll see how true those horror movies truly were mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. or if we're just stuck in here for another year so the zombie apocalypse already happened but it wasn't caused by covid no and that's all i'm gonna say okay 
And then my final also weird note, I'm just moving on from there. Um, No comment. No comment. Just going to keep going. So Mexican archaeologists uncover facade of Aztec skull tower in the capital. Nice. And this kind of goes with what Jen's talking about tonight, which is why kind of also covering this. So this is actually just an add-on to a previous news article from about five years ago. So Mexico City via Rutgers, archaeologists have unearthed a new section of a famous Aztec tower of human skulls dating back to the 1400s beneath the center of Mexico City, authorities said on Friday. So this was a few days old. The team uncovered in March the facade of an eastern side of the tower, as well as 119 human skulls of men, women, and children, added to hundreds of previously found skulls, according to the National Institute of Anthropology and History, or INAH. The tower, approximately 16.4 feet tall, or 5 meters in diameter, was first discovered five years ago. It is believed to be part of the Huey Zomplanto. I'm going to get this. Huey Zompletli, a huge array of skulls that are struck, that struck fear in the Spanish conquistadors when they captured the city under Hernan Cortez in 1521. So this is basically a huge cylindrical rack of skulls. And they're actually called Zomplanti. And Huey Zomplanti is the, uh, this particular one. And it's really interesting to look at. Maybe we'll find some uh, images to use. But what this does is kind of upend the idea that only tough males were used for sacrifices during Aztec times during this particular time set. Instead, we see that women and children were also used. And they were, as we've discovered, as anthropologists have discovered through study, highly uh, decorated for becoming these uh, uh, sacrifices to gods so it wasn't just war criminals being sacrificed this was a huge honor for whomever was sacrificed and they were treated very well from what anthropologists have found but this actually changes the dynamics of who was part of the sacrificial group it wasn't just men it was also women and children so that's where the importance of this is so jen please talk about what you found this week uh, well, once once you mentioned that, it reminded me of the uh, bone churches. Mm. And previously, I only thought there was one, but there's multiples throughout the world. But Surprise! I'm, I mean, it makes sense for some reason to me. I don't know why, but um, this the one I particularly remember is the one... Um, I am going to butcher these pronouncing. I can't even say the word. Is it Sedlec? Sure. S E D L E C, Sedlec. Sedlec. In the Czech, in Czech, right? The Czech Republic. Okay. And um, I'm just winging it. I'm just trying. <laughs> that looks really awesome. I wish I'd seen that when I was in the Czech Republic. Oh, I'm surprised it- they didn't like push you that way. Sorry, Jen. Please continue. Yeah, please continue. No, you're fine. Awesome. Yeah, this is the famous It's a church of all saints, and you walked at... This is an article from CNN from 2019. It says, down a small staircase in the lower chamber of uh, this Roman Catholic church lies this Sedlik? Sedlik? Ossuary. Mm -hmm. Ossuary. Thank you. 
which is adorned with around 40,000 human skeletons. Mm-hmm. Dubbed the Church of Bones, the story behind the grisly attraction begins in 1278 when the king of Bohemia sent the abbot of Sidlick. This um, church of, dubbed the Church of Bones, it's an All Saints uh, Roman Catholic church in Sedlick. It li- uh, the Sedlick ossuary, and it's in Czech. And it was dubbed the Church of Bones. The story behind the grisly attraction begins in 1278 when the king of Bohemia sent an abbot to a monastery in Jerusalem. Hmm. Um, he's said to have come back with a jar of soil from Golgotha. Golgotha. Uh, the site where the crucif- crucifixion of Jesus Christ is said to have occurred and spread it through uh, and spread it around the local cemetery. When news of the holy soil became public, people from all over the region started requesting to be buried there. The mm-hmm. bones that currently reside in Sedlik Ossuary were exhumed from this site in the 15th century to make room for the town's expansion as well as new burials. Mm-hmm. They apparently lay stacked in the basement of this gothic church until 1870 when a wood carver named Francisek Rent was appointed to excavate and organize them. The result is spectacularly shocking. This underground chapel contains a chandelier made entirely of bones as well as garlands of human skulls. To the left of the chandelier sits a coat of arms formed of the bones of the Schwarzenbergs an aristocratic Czech family who once ruled over the city. Wow. Meanwhile, a collection of human skulls piled on top of each other stands to the right. Each is accompanied by religious displays arranged out of bone, reminding visitors that the chapel remains a respectful place of worship, despite its rather macabre contents. Mm -hmm. Um, And the site welcomed around 450,000 tourists in 2018. Not this year. Not this year. In 2019, it was estimated 500,000 would visit. I wish I'd seen the catacombs when I was in Paris. Uh, The first time I was in Paris, I was, I was, I had got a really bad cold. So I didn't think I was going to be very good walking through those damp areas. Mm -hmm. um, They had a huge strike happening in France last time I was there. So we, they were closed. They were yeah. closed for maintenance when I was there, and I was very upset. And Mike had to buy me a tuna sandwich to calm no. me down. <laughs> it probably just... didn't work, though. Oh, I don't know. Did I was a little hangry, but <laughs> it, it was just like, hey, I've traveled all this time, and I was dumb and didn't bother looking at a maintenance schedule. <laughs> well, it's not something you really think about until it happens, right? Yeah, and then now it's yeah. something I do think about when I'm planning trips. <laughs> but but then there's always an, well now with the internet it's so much easier i mean yeah, it is. True. back in the day yeah. like it wasn't like you could look on their website and say oh yeah no. it's closed right now uh, I, I don't mean, have an excuse i went when internet was a thing so oh, okay. no, i was okay. just dumb you know but in the before times in the before travel, times though when you used to travel long ago. without internet you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> different um, experience but yeah, this is not a unique thing that mm-hmm. happened. So I found an article on Discovery, also from 2019, that lists um, four other locations for mm-hmm. uh, churches made out of bones. Uh, oh, it's backwards. Okay, so there's one in Capuchin. 
or the capuchin crypts capuchin, in Rome, maybe? Italy. No, it's capuchin. Capuchin, capuchin. okay. Because they call the monkeys capuchin in, capuchin. Uh, in, in Costa Rica, but it's probably like a mispronunciation then. You would think I know with would with Italians in my family, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rome, Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one in Hallstatt, Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wamba Wamba Ossuary in Spain. Wamba, Spain. And Skull Chapel in it's in Poland. You can just <laughs> Google it because I'm not gonna try. Zermna, Zerm- I think. Zermna. I just thought it was the prop room for Hamlet, you know, the Uric storeroom. Does that the saying Hamlet curse podcasts like it does? Or like Mac, like Macbeth? Ah, that's what I was thinking. Macbeth, not Hamlet. Never mind. Break a leg, break a leg. Well, this is so our I'm, 13th episode too, I think. So. It is. Oh, it's man. our lucky 13th episode. I forgot I think, to say 13 at the beginning, but... We'll have, we'll have some sort of skull action then. You like us enough to keep us around for 13 episodes. <laughs> I know. We're like coven-sized. Sorry, yeah, I butchered the names. <laughs> hey, you, know, right. you never have to... You, 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 you never have to worry about that. It's so easy to, to not know how to pronounce things. Mm. It's so yeah. bad. This coming really from... Brings- does bring back the flashbacks of having to read out loud in English class. Well, you know, I, I, I tend, to, <laughs> rather than reading a lot, I tend to listen to a ton of audiobooks. And it's always interesting mm-hmm. because, like, I read mostly fantasy and science fiction. And it's interesting because how you read the book and would pronounce the names is very different all the time from when you hear the audiobook, mm-hmm. you know, how that, you know, authors. Yeah. Sort Hi, of Game of Thrones. Them exactly exactly right you had no like idea those rocky man yeah. exactly that's why i have a hard time listening to books in fiction mm-hmm. um on audio because it's all about that person who's reading it their inflection their tone of voice and if it's not how i hear it in my head when i read mm-hmm. it, ta- it takes me out of it or i just can't get into it so i, I have to read mm-hmm. read read in my head i guess mm-hmm I, yeah. I, I really like to listen to books while I'm painting. Um, yeah, but the right yeah. reader does need to be engaging. Yeah. There's been a couple of books that are wonderful books, but the reader was not the best choice. Yeah. Right. That's well, a I, thing. I have heard like a lot of, at least like celebrities that are writing books, they are biographies, will read their own mm-hmm. audio book because they, they obviously they know their story. They wrote the book and they lived it so and they're actors or they have experience so it's also very entertaining from what i understand (laughs) oh yeah i have a ton of uh, you know books like tina fey's book and you know a lot of different comedians like that have very good um audiobooks to listen to i like listening to nick offerman yeah he's quite i love him i love him so much he's (laughs) one of my favorites him and megan mullally together i just those two are a treasure and, and I think oh. it, it, it segues so well from piles of bones. You know, it's, it's interesting. It, I, I think it's interesting this practice from the Aztec pile of bones to um, the Christian traditions, which probably were adaptations of earlier pagan traditions. Hmm. And I find that very interesting. 
Yeah, it's yeah. this is ironically something I did study when I was an anthropologist. And so <laughs> and I couldn't find any postgraduate stuff because no one was studying funerary rites when I was applying for these things. You know, but, it's a, my cousin, um, she uh her PhD is in 16th century German literature and she um does a lot of studying of 1500s medieval life she gets papers mm -hmm. on stuff like that and she said that actually one way they're finding out more about women's lives is through funerary uh speeches and stuff like that yeah because so mm -hmm. little was written about them um we got in a huge discussion and and you know you could probably even when looking at say classic ghost stories in history who is listened to and who isn't um the reason why we know so much, and we've gotten a little bit into this before, the reason why uh, we know so much about Roman history and Greek history is because the Catholic Church really liked them and mm -hmm. archived them. Mm -hmm. There was less interest in, the, in a lot of the, quote, barbarian societies, which they were not barbarian societies. That was just mm -hmm. a racist view of Rome. They didn't like other societies that weren't Roman. And mm -hmm. so there were a lot of perhaps even more advanced societies that were invaded by Rome. Uh, Romania, for example, the Dacian society was supposedly very advanced, but they had a lot of money and gold and Rome mm -hmm. basically liquidated their assets. Yeah. Uh, and that happened a lot. And there was no interest in many people say they had no written history or anything but we don't know it was destroyed they had no interest in and even if you look at recent history where they're trying to save languages like mm -hmm. um you know welsh or gaelic or you know any of those even uh, uk languages and when we talk about uk languages an anthropologist you probably i mean europe was a patchwork of would you say thousands of languages at least oh yeah like uh, we've always like yeah of differing degrees of difficulty and also familiarity mm -hmm. so basically with languages how they evolved is whenever you had a group separate and they were able to evolve in their own little hamlets basically you got different similar languages but they were just different enough that you could tell there was differences and yeah dialects basically and it's a little even more than that you'll get different words and stuff like that i know in japan when i lived there i lived in nagoya and there were still verbs that were used in the chubu and um, kan yeah, kansai regions that are different than the kanto region and these are all just regional dialects of japanese it kind of isn't quite the same in america because you may have a bubbler for water fountain but it, it's Kind of everyone kind of knows that's what it is. Though I did chuckle at one of my friends calls a remote a clicker. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. that's so cute. And so Michigan of you. Well, and so I guess, yeah. And, and speaking of uh, pronounce, pronunciations, that means a lot of times different words in different areas are pronounced. So there is no perhaps correct pronunciation in a way. Yeah, they um, kind of evolve constantly. I, I've heard, for example, Germany was not a, a, a united country till when the late 1800s and Italy as mm. well. And so each, you know, there were tons of dialects. Italian, as you know, it was not actually a unified language till Mussolini. It was a bunch mm. of dialects. And when we visited Switzerland a few years ago, um, we stayed at Airbnb with a woman from Texas and her husband was from Austria. 
and her husband could barely understand the German that they spoke in Switzerland because the dialect was so different that even he couldn't understand it that well. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Northern Italy is, Northern Italian's closer to German than Southern Italian is. And so, Hmm. and it's probably years of like, before you had tribal, you know, Mm And and China's the same. Um, mm-hmm. you know, oh yeah, India. that is so many different dialects. Yeah, and even just regional variations. But just hitting super close to home. Look at my last name. It's Cloco. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Cloco is? What is it? It is two different cities. One in Germany. It's actually more like a region, and a small small city in Poland. And it's pronounced slightly <laughs> differently depending on what side you're on. So the Cloco family pronounce it Cloco, like how I pronounce it. But it's also Klokov if you're in Poland or parts of Russia. And the only people that are ever able to pronounce her name correctly on the first try is one UPS driver and anybody from the Baltic states. So <laughs> we don't really know the family history on his side, but that's just interesting how there's two clocos um going back to destruction of cultural heritage going with the aztecs we actually don't know a lot what's happening aztec is or mayan aztec and olmec their codex got burned when the spanish came through so we don't have a lot of their literature and we're still decoding their languages because of that mayan almost is a dead language it's managed to get saved um if you go to um oh like cozumel or cancun you'll have a lot of people that will actually speak mayan they're not speaking spanish and uh, i always find that interesting mayan is a super tricky language i i put it up there with like swedish and czech it's Mm -hmm. tricky and uh and especially with reading, because if you're not familiar with the intonations, then you just get confused by all the um, consonants and vowels. And how amazing would it have been to see those cities when they were yeah. at their peak? I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what our city will look like in thousands of years. And so they must have been extremely spectacular when they and were colorful. And they were and they were mm-hmm. so much bigger than they thought. I mean, oh, they're huge. When they, you go, they were huge. They were expanding. It, it's so yeah it, we can go on about culture and all that but i don't think that's why people are here mm, that's okay we're just th- this stuff just addressed us get on with the creepy stuff yeah, get yeah. on with it yeah yeah okay. you're, well, you're an odd little anthropologist still an- stop analyzing everything it's just too much interesting stuff to discuss yes well we got yeah. a lot of interesting local stuff to discuss tonight. okay well flying back to cincinnati we're going to go back to Cincinnati, much more recent on the scope of the world timeline than everywhere else that we've talked about tonight. But this might be a good excuse to cover something like Serpent Mound or some of the mounds in Ohio, which used to be yeah. territory. Yeah, the Hopewell culture. And we'll get to that. That would I would love to go to Chillicothe. I've never been to Serpent Mound. and uh, Definitely we'll do a trip. I've and, been once. Yeah, and I'll try to find really, really couldn't see it but been there <laughs> yeah it's something better seen from above yeah. but I'd really love to talk to like an anthropologist that has been studying the culture and, and I know how we could find one actually oh yay that makes my day yay all right so going on to yes so we're going to 
oh my where did my disclaimer go oh i put it down there i i'll do a quick disclaimer now before digging in we do have a great story tonight to share with you but trigger warning it does talk about suicide we'll talk a little bit about that further down right now this is just the history bits and we'll warn you again before we get to the darker stuff so hometown haunt tonight is the fabulous the wonderful cincinnati observatory and we've all been correct yes yes christina's nodding her head yes yes (laughs) yeah christina you went there for sketches yes jen you've been there for sketches and for um i went in college uh for to look at something can't remember it was a long time ago (laughs) yeah and i've just been there because i'm a big fan of astronomy it's Mm -hmm. one of the glue things that keep my husband and i together because we're big old astronomy nerds so we own a telescope we like to use it i swear we only pointed at the sky anyway so (laughs) all right the cincinnati (laughs) observatory is the oldest professional observatory in the united states and its vintage status makes it ripe for ghost stories and man oh man there are a lot of urban legends with it uh originally built in 1843 on the peak of mount ida by Olmsby old stars mitchell a retired union major general from the u.s civil war an astronomer from union county kentucky who grew up in lebanon ohio Mitchell also published the first magazine in the United States dedicated to the study of astronomy, and he became one of the first mathematicians, philosophy, and astronomy professors at Cincinnati College, now known as the University of Cincinnati. Mitchell wanted an observatory very badly for the Cincinnati College and for the city, and it took him many years, but after the donation of four acres by Uh, on Mount Summit by the eccentric wine merchant Nicholas Longworth, a telescope from actually Germany, from Munich, Germany, and the robust backing of the Cincinnati Astronomical Society, the Cincinnati Observatory cornerstone was laid November 9th, 1843. And I have this wonderful photo from, I'm going to assume the 1800s, it's not dated, but it's the Cincinnati, I can't it's the telescope. It's a guy using the telescope. Ah, this was a big event for and former president John Quincy Adams spoke at the dedication. This was the last public speech Adams did and to mark the occasion Mount Ida was renamed to Mount Adams. Yeah, that fun little place that had the incline and it's really cool. It's like it's a nut San Francisco. It looks like San Francisco with all the really tall buildings. The observatory stood on Mount Adams from 1843 until 1871 when it was moved to its current location on Mount Lookout after the smoke pollution from downtown Cincinnati made Mount Adams location unusable. The previous location was then turned into the Holy Cross Monastery and Church, which was used until 1977 when it was merged with the Immaculate Parish, creating the Holy Cross Immaculata Parish. Now the property is the headquarters, the well, the corporate headquarters of Town Properties, a property management company in the city. When the new location was built in Mount Lookout off Observatory Avenue, the University of Cincinnati gained ownership of the observatory. The ground on which it stands was given to um, this 
well, it says given to the city by John Kilgore in 1872. The Mitchell building houses the original 1845 Mertz and Mahler telescope from Munich, Germany from the previous observatory. In 1979, the observatory formally became part of the physics department of the University of Cincinnati. And in 1998, the Cincinnati Observatory was listed on the national list of historic places. Here's some fun facts for you. Fort Mitchell in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky is named after Armsby Mitchell. Also, asteroid number 1373, Cincinnati, was named in honor of the staff of the observatory. It was discovered on August 30th, 1935. It was the only asteroid discovery made by famous American astronomer Edwin Hubble when observing distant galaxies at Mount Wilson Observatory in California. I kind of love that little connection with Hubble. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that pretty really cool. cool. Yeah. The instruments used for those who care, like I do, and Mike, and a lot of other people. Their 1845 Mertz and Muller 11-inch refractor is housed in the Mitchell building, maybe the oldest continually used telescope in the world. It is currently used for public education programs. This was made in Munich, Germany. And the Mitchell building is also referred to as the new building. And I'm sure we have photos along with it. This is the interior shots that you're seeing probably right now um, of the telescope. It's a large wooden telescope. It's very cool. The 1904 Alvin Clark and Sons 16-inch refractor housed in the Herget building used in public education programs and graduate research. This is from Cam Cambridgeport, Massachusetts. And the old, uh, <laughs> the old building is the really prominent, like the photogenic building that you always see with a huge dome and the big columns and then it's two stories high. Yeah, that, that's the Herget building, I believe. To this day, the Cincinnati Observatory is the core of the tri-state area's casual and serious interest in astronomy. Even in the state in, in 2020, um, they hold online stargazing, moon viewing, moon viewing, and lectures led by Dean Rigas, the current director of the observatory, and also the Stone Lake Stargazers, which are the casual uh, astronomy club of the area, do a lot through the observatory as well as stargaze at Stone Lake State Park on really clear nights. I think there's a, a particular weekend every month that they meet. So, oh, this is where the story takes a darker turn. And I want to note, like any haunted history location, somebody has to have passed away on the property for us to be talking about it. And this is, of course, the situation in this. So listener discretion is advised as we do talk about suicide. If you have thoughts of suicide or in emotional distress, please contact the National Su Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. And with that, we dive into the story of Dr. Smith. So, when I moved to Cincinnati, one of the first locations that I was told was haunted was the observatory. I was not told why, I was not told how, but it was supposedly haunted. Tonight, we dive into why this may be haunted, and it's a very interesting story. So the claims stem from the untimely death of former director of the observatory, Dr. Elliot S. Smith, in 1943. Dr. Smith was a very accomplished man. I mean, super accomplished. 
Born in Blue Earth County, Minnesota in 1875, he attended the University of Minnesota studying astronomy and graduated in 1903. From there, he had a fellowship at the University of California and assisted at the Lick Observatory from 1905 to 1906. He, past, he took postgraduate work at the University of Cincinnati and received his PhD there in 1910. I did not know our physics and astronomy department was that old. He became the professor of astronomy at UC and became the director of the observatory in 1940. He actually authored several books, such as The Catalog of Proper Motion Stars, a catalog of 4,683 stars observed by Elliot Smith, and his most popular, The Luminosity of Meteors and Comets. I really wish we could buy these. I don't know if they're available. He was an extremely patriotic man. He was a veteran of the Spanish-American War, a member of the Sons of the American Revolution, and was very proud of his son, Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Smith, uh, as he had a career at West Point as a graduate and was serving in the Pacific Campaign during World War II in the Army Corps of Engineers. His daughter, Harriet, married Dr. Paul Herget, who ended up being a successor to Dr. Smith's position as director of the observatory. Dr. Herget became one of the pioneers in the use of electronic computing machines for astronomical calculations. And from 1947 until his retirement in 1978, the International Astronomical Union Minor Planet Center was housed at the Cincinnati Observatory. I did some background research on Dr. Paul Herget and this man was a genius. He was doing all the calculations for the circumference of the planets by hand before calculators were a thing. And his list of honors, I believe is slightly longer than Dr. Smith's. And when he passed away in 1981, NASA wrote a huge biography about him and his accomplishments. And I will say, I did look into his family a little bit to see if anybody was alive, if we had any survivors. And unfortunately, Harriet, passed away in 1971 of cancer. Dr. Herget actually went above and beyond trying to get her cancer treatment aligned and with the right people. And unfortunately, she lost that battle. He did remarry and passed away in 1981. And his second wife passed away in 2006 and he has no children. So I hope I didn't come off as creepy, but... Uh, Anyway, moving on. At 7.30 a.m. on the morning of September 26, 1943, Dr. Smith left his home on Observatory Avenue. By 3.30 p.m. that day, his body was found hanging from the telescope mount by two site janitors, Dick Kurtz and, or Kuntz and Frank Ballinger, along with Professor Maradis of, of Astronomy at UC, Dr. Everett Yole. Dr. Smith's coat and cane were hanging on the side of the telescope. The county coroner, Frank M. Kopik Jr., suspected that Dr. Smith had hung himself just after arriving at the observatory. So he had been dead about eight to 10 hours by the time they found him. There was no suicide found, note found, but there were many stresses leading up to Dr. Smith's passing. The first was that he was chronically ill for several years and recently underwent an operation. He also had, has, had spent 
half a year in California in 1937, recovering from a severe spell of sickness, according to Dr. Yol. In addition to this, it had been reported or rumored that his son, Lieutenant Colonel Smith, had gone missing in action during the Pacific Campaign. This is where it got interesting. And I made the comment earlier that Mike joked that I was still urban legends detecting even while I was making dinner tonight. Why he said this was, I was looking into the family tree, as I just mentioned, and I discovered that Lieutenant Colonel Smith did not die during World War II. He survived that war. He served in Vietnam and he was given many, many prestigious medals by the Army Corps of Engineers for his service. And he too has passed away and I could not find any children that he had, but he did survive, which makes this suicide all more sad if that was what had happened. We don't know, this is conjecture, but that's one of the rumors is that he, that Dr. Smith had passed away because he was afraid his son was gone forever. Um, I will say, judging by how his friends reported him, he was chronically ill, may have suffered from depression. So did that have anything to do with it? Who knows? I, I don't really like speculating. I just give ideas. So the reported hauntings, like I said, the observatory is allegedly haunted. And I have this wonderful qu quote from the current uh, director, uh, Dean Regas from 2015. And he said, the observatory is allegedly haunted. The claim has been made, but I don't think it's true at all. As someone who has been here almost every day for 15 years, daytime, nighttime, middle of the night, with groups or alone, a cold, dark, spooky night, or even once on Halloween, I have never seen, heard, sensed a spirit in the building. And he was, this was quoted from an interview by Leela Shokun, Shokuhi for the Cincinnati Refined Magazine in 2015. So uh, docents on the, at the observatory, however, have reported some spooky things going on that they can't explain. However, on pressing what it may be, it, there isn't, it's always really nondescript or in reality, probably very mundane things that are happening. Like a cold spot once in a while, hearing something a little off in the distance, but things that people generally will think, well, we're in the middle of a city. So maybe it's something like that. Uh, but there is an interesting, some interesting side notes here. Uh, they did bring in a ghost hunting group in 2009 to investigate the observatory, which I find really impressive because I didn't think that somebody who would be as skeptical, this is, a, a, this is gonna sound judgmental, I'm sorry. Usually I don't think of scientists bringing in paranormal groups to study their locations of work. That just seems like why, but I don't know why, but this happened. So in 2009, the Spiritual Historians of Paranormal Evidence, also known as the Spiritual Hope Society, did a visit and did record some anomalies that they mentioned in a newspaper article from 2010. Uh, they found ghostly music and unexplained voices throughout the buildings. And according to docents that, um, that kind of knew about this, they focused a lot in the basement. And I couldn't find any photos of the basement. I don't know what it looks like. In 2010, the Spiritual Hope 
Society led a public ghost hunt at the observatory to help raise funds to keep them, the observatory open during the recession, which I think is great. In 1997, however, this is an interesting story. An associate professor, Chris Curran, happened to call the observatory only to be answered by a garbled voice over the phone that sounded distant. Thinking that she had encountered a broken answering machine, however, after further inquiry, she discovered that the answering machine had been turned off. So that is the only real spooky ghost story I could find about the Cincinnati Observatory. But actually weird phone shenanigans from haunted locations is something I've heard about before. So thank you for listening to my TED talk. I'm done. <laughs> well that was really interesting yeah it was yeah i, yeah. I mean it's it, it, in the late 1800s when the, when this was built i mean everybody was sort of into astronomy that was the time of of, of the harvard observatory being built tesla science all those world fairs yes and, uh, and uh, you know lowell uh percival lowell was he a little later or was he he's a little later maybe a little bit a little yeah. bit later, but but you know you had the serializations of H.G. Wells happening along those times. Jules Verne. Well, you had that were... first movie. I think it was a Journey to the Moon. Yes, yes, oh, that was the yeah. late 1800s. Yeah, I mean that yeah. whole late late 1800s, uh, early 1900s seems like it was a really interesting time of speculation, and um, at the time wasn't um, being an uh, astronomer was kind of a gentlemanly profession oh yeah yeah like sort of a, a leisure hobby that uh and and that was uh, i i illustrated a children's book about annie jump cannon uh in 2010 and that's when i got to paint because the uh telescope that's in the Cincinnati observatory was the same one that used to be at harvard and so uh there's pictures of both of them and I have a picture of Annie Jump Cannon at the telescope that was at Harvard, but it looks a lot like the one that was at, that's still at the observatory. So that's one of the few places where you can still see one of these mm -hmm. antique. Uh, yeah, big wooden thing. It's really cool seeing how the telescope tucks into the dome. Yes, yes. Yeah, and we had the um, privilege, I guess, a few years, uh, oh, it was 18 months ago, 2019, um, we happened to go to the Cincinnati Observatory because my father-in-law really loves astronomy as well. That's where Mike gets his love of the mm -hmm. uh, uh, science. And for Father's Day, we went out to dinner and on our way home, we passed by the observatory and Mike's like, hey, do you want to go see our observatory? It's one of the oldest in the country. So he went there and we happened to be there when no one else was there but the docents and they opened up the dome for us to moon view which nice. was a fantastic opportunity and quite memorable and very important it's an important family memory for us because uh, oh. we got to take our um at the time infant son to go see the uh, the moon basically and my father-in-law was just so jazzed being able to get up onto the seats and look through this old telescope that you don't get to see anymore Mm -hmm. it's made out of wood and brass and it's really cool and they've done a really great job maintaining it mm -hmm. um so but it, it's an it's a sad story with dr smith and uh, it his 
his death made national headlines. I found the story all the way in Oklahoma, uh, the same, like the news story about his death. So he was an important character to astronomy, especially locally. And what I also found interesting is the fact that his, it was rumored that his son had become a POW or at least MIA in action, almost as an excuse as to why, like why he hung himself but doing some research he survived he came back he did a lot of stuff and so i i don't think that's exactly why dr smith committed suicide i I, although it was a good scapegoat at the time i guess what year did he pass uh, 1943 hmm, the people that would know what happened are very very all gone Um, yeah i mean that's a thing that's difficult when you illustrate something that's that's real is mm-hmm. especially if you're looking at old photos and stuff it's super hard to find good reference you know to illustrate stuff like that so like one thing i wanted to know when i had to paint annie jump cannon is what color were her eyes you know what mm-hmm. and we actually did talk to someone that had known her and told us what color her eyes were and and knew them still but they were extremely old like this woman was in her 80s and wow uh, wow. there's a lot of stuff that we have to approach as illustrators that when you're writing a book you don't think about well what did this look like and it's really mm-hmm. difficult to you know segueing to our earlier conversation about what gets kept culturally if you have to draw something from the 1800s you think oh there's tons of stuff around no there's not tons of stuff around you know if you're wanting to draw something that that existed that people used regularly that's no longer used it's really hard to find it there wasn't a lot of pho- photographs back then mm-hmm. um, there's just not a lot of stuff around to look at and when you're trying to some of the stuff i was trying had to illustrate was pictures of them doing experiments when she was in college and i have no idea what i'm not a historian mm-hmm. um, and you know so i had to ask a lot of people what would you have drawn like there's mm-hmm. one picture of her with her class at, at Wellesley and there's all this equipment and I asked somebody that was works at a physics lab um, that was a colleague of one of my cousins and he said well they're not doing anything it looks like they just had all the girls pose around like the stack of lab equipment and said get all the cool lab equipment out and <laughs> pose everyone around it they weren't doing anything funny yeah you know and so it's hard to tell and, and schools don't keep that stuff because they want the latest you're not going to keep your your glassware from the 1800s that goes to a museum or is thrown away and right. so that's why it's so wonderful they still have this old telescope because most of that stuff just gets thrown away or not just thrown away but burned Uh, a lot of these places there's accidents i know this happens a lot with historical records we have missing records from dotting all over the world basically because storage houses go up in smoke Mm -hmm. um and, and or there's earthquakes or national natural disasters that take them out that's why digitizing all these articles is very important because it gives us a safer way of storing everything and we have these news like heck referencing back to the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities we have a digitized 1894 article about the mermaids of the ohio river now we don't have the original cincinnati inquirer one we have the akron beacon journal i think is what it is but it's the syndicated it's the same article they just syndicated it 
So yeah, it just, it's so important. It, it, it really is easy to lose history. And that's why, you know, back to our discussion of really ancient history of civilizations from early Europe or the Maya or whatever, we don't really know. And a lot of stuff, you know, they dig up stuff and have no idea what it is. And unfortunately, I think the way a lot of people that are archaeologists think about things is they think in a very linear thing, like, oh, well, they were really primitive then and were much, but we don't know that. I mean, there could have, I mean, this is get, gets into a pet peeve of mine, because I think there were pretty advanced societies a long time ago that we just don't know anything about them. I mean, if our society disappeared right now, I mean, who would know? what was left of it because like you were talking about digitizing everything well you mm -hmm. have to have something i can't even read my zip drives from the 90s you know or my zip discs yeah so how right. on earth do you archive things i mean as an artist and you probably deal with this too how do you archive your stuff so you can keep it for years the technology and what you store it on keeps changing so you end yeah. up with this digital catalog of work you've done since you could catalog it digitally and so you you know, scan in your old little discs like i used to keep everything on cds well i don't even mm -hmm. have a cd player on my latest computer so how do you access that knowledge and and so it, it's interesting when looking at history how much is lost and how little we know and how biased the archiving of that history is yeah, and I know dealing with the biasness of the archiving of history and interpretation of history mm -hmm. has changed a lot, especially in the past 20 years. Thank goodness. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about anthropology because that's the science I know the best. And basically, when it started, it was started by nobility or the aristocrats that had time to go out into the field and dig for bones or for pots or whatnot. And if you read some of the earlier interpretations of anything, Hopewell culture, if we want to be local, they, I remember reading case studies written by armchair, well, not armchair anthropologists, but hobbyist anthropologists saying that dead people were buried under these mounds. Why would they just bury artifacts? Like they just couldn't get that through their head. I mean, I believe Thomas Jefferson um had a few mounds on his properties that he bulldozed uh, at one point and just kept the artifacts so we have no context but then you also have all these people were male at the time doing this science and in the 60s you started getting more females and people of color and part of and people from the lgbtqia communities coming in and you're getting different reference points for looking at an artifact and suddenly you're getting different interpretations. And now we have a much broader sense of ways to interpret the data that we're getting. That's why, like I said, the um, skull tower that I reported on earlier, the report now is vastly different than even the case studies I would have read 15 years ago, because you have not just men on the archive groups uh, going through, not the archive groups, but the, the actual science trips um because you have women and indigenous people who know the culture better from oral tradition also giving their input and saying maybe we can um interpret it this way so well and that's the thing i find fascinating about astronomy too is we see so little and you're trying to get 
giant theories about the construction of the universe by seeing very little of them. And it's interesting to see how that science evolves as well. I mean, the Hubble telescope has been really interesting, uh, the, the stuff that it sees. And um, wasn't there recently, what was, uh, since you follow this sort of thing, the, the Betelgeuse thing where they thought it was going to go supernova and it hasn't, but it has, it kind of darkened. Oh, I actually missed that one, but hmm. yeah. Jen, do you have uh, any thoughts? I do. Sometimes it's hard to get a word in between you two. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. I I'm drinking talking. water, so you got plenty of time now. <laughs> so I was just going to say, um, have you, either of you ever, and I'm not sure if this is open to the public, but contacted the uh, Union Terminal Museum Center and done a tour of their archives? I haven't been able to. Certainly, I want okay. to. we plan to. It's just COVID's made it difficult. We'd like to sketch okay. the rooms and stuff. There. So that that is open to the public because I've I've been on it a couple times through work where it was just work related. I think it depends and, on what it is in the archive because I know okay. like the historical archives are open. That's how I did a lot of book research for um, Ohio's haunted crimes. Oh, I'm talking about the artifacts, the stuff. I and, think that depends on who's in that day and what they want to show you. Okay, because I've got I've gotten to see not all of it, but a lot of it, and it's really cool. And I'm sure they'd be more than willing if they have it to show it to you, because they're just as excited about it as we are. And the two times I went, I got the same tour guide, and he is always excited to show a Civil War Lancer for medical procedures. Oh. I just love it. And he always holds it up. Does anybody know what this is? And I'm like, yes, but only because <laughs> I've been on the tour before. <laughs> I, I would love to sketch. I mean, we'd love to sketch and see some of their archives and take our, I mean, we, we went and sketched their shrunken head exhibit that they had. Maybe, that was so cool. I wonder if that's something we could do through Urban Sketchers because the stuff that they've got is so cool. Like they've got almost every kind of form of tv you know since the beginning they have record players they have all these old games and you walk in there and you can it's not only visual but you can smell the stuff you know it's not a bad smell but it's just and then you have that like just to document humanity mm -hmm. but then they also have dinosaur bones yeah I'm, I'm a little stuck on the shrunken heads did you say they have shrunken heads well, this was a, an exhibit. Were they authenticated? Um, yes. I mean, it was one of those things where they had to, like they had a, a couple mummies and they had some shrunken heads and stuff. And, and again, that's another thing that's very touchy to have as a display because how respectful mm -hmm. is it to those cultures that, that made them? Yeah, because the mm -hmm. shrunken heads have become just a big hoopla. Like Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that was quite the hoopla then i mean it wasn't that long ago i want to say like four years ago three or four years ago uh we went and sketched them and it was a big deal that the museum center had this exhibit did you go to it jen no i didn't mm -mm. it was really interesting but like as you said it, it is somewhat controversial now to even and they wanted people to be respectful and they tried to say look these are you know these were people these were people in their culture yeah. and stuff yeah um 
I am now one the body exhibit and that I went to that's an interesting one I was all jazzed and psyched about going to and as soon as I got in in there I was just like oh this makes me really uncomfortable like it hit me on such a that's interesting level that I couldn't I couldn't stay there and my mom who was a nurse and my sister who worked in a hospital was like oh this is so cool and I'm like I need to get out of here. Like, I don't know. It just made me really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. There's reasons to be uncomfortable about it because I believe they thought some of those were dissidents that were. Yes. Like perhaps all the, all the participants in those. Uh, in that may not have willingly donated. Yes, exactly. Yes. So um, I have pasted in, in our document uh, some articles about there was all this speculation that Beetlejuice was about to explode. People have different thoughts about it and stuff. Um, okay but you can read about it and check it out and see what you think um because it was i think i believe it was darkening i read a bunch of stuff a couple weeks ago about it and i don't remember all the details because i read too much stuff to remember everything right um yeah so what happens if it goes supernova um scientists will be super excited to see it um they think it might be closer than they thought i mean it's it's they think there's a lot of again you know there's a lot of theories about you know it's chemical makeup and what the lives of stars are you know mm-hmm. obviously if you observe a supernova you hope you're far enough away from it to <laughs> yeah um, get sucked in or yeah <laughs> yeah we wouldn't know the rate i don't remember how far beetlejuice is but yeah it it, it would go supernova we'd be able to see it probably even during the day and then we'd I don't know if we get slowly pu- pulled in. Like I said, I forget how far away it is. So um, oh, that's kind of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know slowly in space terms could mean like hundreds of thousands of years, but ooh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe this is actually a Doctor Who episode. So mm-hmm. um, let's see. It says here that uh, the super giant star has been behaving strangely in recent months. Could it be about to go supernova? And so it said in the constellation of Orion, something strange is afoot. In October 2019, the red star Betelgeuse, which marks Orion's bright shoulder or left as we look at it, began to get unusually dim. During January and February 2020, it reached a record low, about 40% of its usual brightness. We know that Betelgeuse is a mature star and that one day it will explode into a supernova, but this dimming has led to speculation that a supernova could be imminent might this be a moment of calm before the star expires in a cosmic death blast um the dimming of beetlejuice the name of the star has its origins in arabic and there's no consensus on how to pronounce the westernized version see again (laughs) no one knows how to pronounce it i know but beetlejuice what what it's pronounced michael keaton yes i was gonna say that <laughs> it's what's known as a variable star whose brightness fluctuates in Betelgeuse's case this fluctuation follows a roughly 420 day cycle and in line with this cycle there are now signs the star is slowly brightening again and there's more about it but it, and it's not and we're not talking about haunted stuff anymore but since we're talking observatories we can geek out a little bit Space! yes yes I mean, again we, we will talk about aliens at one point so you know why not <laughs> yeah it, it, we'll talk about anything <laughs> clearly we've talked about the aztec we've talked about mm-hmm. ossuaries tonight and we've talked about the cincinnati observatory so and i have some haunts that i put yeah in. i was about to say and we have some haunts to share Ooh. 
And the first hometown haunt is a local hometown haunt. Do you want to read that, Jen? So, so the first one is is from Scott, Scott. Uh, who you know, Scott from Urban Sketchers. Hmm. Uh, we've just added him. I can cut this out. But it's about uh, the, uh, the theater group in the West Side, I believe, the Westwood Theater Group. Okay. So, Jen, you want to read Scott's and I'll read David? Yes, please. Yes. Oh, I just found it. Okay. Woo! Uh, this from Scott. I was working backstage at Westwood Town Hall for a production of The Odd Couple. I had heard others in the crew talk about Wesley, the ghost who supposedly haunts that theater. They had all kinds of creepy stories. I don't believe in ghosts and insist on evidence. Working backstage is mostly sitting around and my hangout spout was on the stairs on stage left. One night I sat down on a loose screw that was just left on the stairs. I saw a hole in the old plaster wall and I thought I would just throw it in there, in there and it would never be seen again. But wait, I had a Sharpie and I muttered quietly, okay, Wesley, I'm going to put a special mark on the screw head and I'm going to throw it in that hole where nobody would ever be able to get it. So if you're real, then put this where I'll see it again. The next night I sat on those stairs and there was a loose screw in the same spot and it had that mark on it. Oh, never challenge the dead or spirit. Oh my goodness. That's That's asking for trouble. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i believe that's horror movie fodder mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a good story though it is a I very know. good story I, I love that yeah. story yes I, I, I thank you scott yes yeah thank you and now another friend of the show alexa is also works at that theater company is really hoping to see more of wesley and yeah she was more upset that why didn't anyone tell her that there was a ghost she could have been talking to I'm sure Wesley will come by and say hello at some point. Mm-hmm. He sounds a little friendly. Yeah. Putting screws on stairs. That, so you can that sounds like Home Alone stuff going. Yeah. Well, as long as he doesn't like have swinging paint buckets or something. Coming That's up. true. Right. Well, it's backstage. So our second story is from David and he writes, oh, yes. So I was visiting my dad's house about a year before he died. I had a room upstairs that had an old chest of drawers in it. Nosy as I am, I looked inside of it when I was getting ready to sleep that evening. It was filled with jewelry boxes, old Rolex watches, and other small boxes. I did not think much of it as my stepmother had a lot of old stuff. That night, I woke up with an odd feeling and turned over and looked at the wall where the chest of drawers was. I saw... In my surprise, a white, dim outline of a woman in her nightgown with one hand on her chest. I was freaked and oddly curious. I said, hello? She just stared forward and said nothing. I moved again and she was gone. The next day, I figured it was me saying things and I didn't think about it until the next night. I was a bit nervous to sleep in that room again, but figured it was a figment of my every act my every active mind. I fell asleep and woke up around 2 a.m. to find her there again, standing exactly as she did the night previous. This time, I sat up in my bed and she disappeared. I did not sleep in that room again. Yep, don't blame him. Nope. <laughs> that sounds good. what she wanted. So that story your friend uh, had, Jen, where they had seen the, the, where they were in the room with the, mm-hmm. 
I mean, that had that story had, had so much stuff. <laughs> had a lot going on in that, like challenging a ghost. You know, yeah. through a figurine at her forehead. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. That was a wonderful story. Yes. Thank you for sharing. And if you would like to share your own hometown haunt and have myself, Jen, or Christina read them on air, you can send them to sincecuriosities at gmail.com. Well, I guess that means that we're coming to the end. This is the end of another wonderful, the lucky 13th episode of the Cincinnati Curiosities Hometown Haunts. Yay! Yay! And next week, I think we're talking about holiday ghosts and that's we are speaking of holidays happy hanukkah yes happy hanukkah (laughs) i'm sorry this is at the end of the show but happy hanukkah Hanukkah. well it's the end of hanukkah pretty much so Mm. it's just a couple days left right and so yeah the end of the show end of hanukkah so yeah yeah it's it's totally on purpose Yeah, happy we mistakes. totally plan it. Happy mistakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so next week we are talking about oh more festive spirits in the vein of the Yule cat and ghosts at Christmas. So with that, thank you for joining us. This is Cat Cloco, the host of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Hometown Haunts. With me is Christina Wald, Jen Kohler, and we'll see you next week. Keep it spooky. Bye. Bye.